I said we, we started uh, chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit was speaking. Uh, and then Peter stands up and begins to explain what's going on, why people are hearing in their own language as the people are praising God. And he talks about the end times up, uh, through verse 14. Uh, as he explained that the Spirit comes through 14 through 21, and then we'll pick up tonight in verse 22, he explained how it happened. And he starts off explaining that Jesus is alive. If you, um, during that time, you know, Jesus was crucified and, and he was buried and he rose again. Do you remember what the, the, their answer for that was? What did the, the Jewish leaders and even some of the Roman people accused of what happened, why Jesus was no longer in the tomb? That they had stole him, right? So there was a, pretty much a, an official proclamation that these followers of Jesus had stolen his body, and that's why he's not there. And that's what the Jewish people were saying. He didn't actually rise, you know, the Jewish leaders. They didn't want to admit that he was the Son of God and that he would, that he did rise from the dead. So he come up with this story that they had stole the body. So Peter starts off in verse 22 explaining that Jesus was alive. And he explained exactly what happened to him. So he starts out and says, Ye men of Israel, talking to the Jewish leaders and stuff, uh, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by himself in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Now, I'll just stop with that verse and sort of let's break that verse down a little bit. You men of Israel, these Jewish leaders, he wanted everybody, all of them remember they were still in Jerusalem. He's telling them, this, this Jesus of Nazareth, he's a man approved of God. What do you think that means? Anybody got another translation that might shed light on it for you? The, the, Why he's doing that? The Amplified Bible says, A man accredited and pointed out and a, attested to you by God. In other words... Uh, Jesus became man. God became man. We know that. And he said he was approved by God. In other words, he was sent by God. And to prove that he was sent by God, in the next part of the verse, he said, look what he says. Uh, he's approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him. In other words, these signs and wonders and miracles God did it through Jesus Christ, is what that verse is saying. NIV says Jesus was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Right. See, they witnessed these miracles. They, they saw the, the blind see and the lame walk, and they even saw the dead come up. They, remember, they... Uh, 
questioned Lazarus big time. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and all the rest. So they knew that he did these miracles. The reason I'm spending so much time on 22 is sort of an introduction and opening for us to understand the book of Acts. Throughout the book of Acts are many signs and miracles that the apostles will do. Remember, Jesus said, I, you'll do greater things than me because the Holy Spirit, what he was saying is not that that Peter would do something greater than Jesus, but because the Holy Spirit would come and indwell all of you, you, all of you can do more than just me by myself is what he was basically saying. So he said, you're going to do greater things and you're going to do miracles. You're going to heal. You're going to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit by God. It's important to see that why, why do you think Jesus performed miracles? Why did the apostles perform miracles? Why did they, why did God heal through them, give them the ability, it seemed like, to lay their hands and somebody be healed? And why don't we see that much today? Let's discuss that a little bit. It, it helps us to understand the book of Acts. And uh, there's a lot of people get carried away a lot of times with all this healing and all these miracles and wonders and they they focus on the wonders more than they focus on the God who does them. Uh, so why would God allow those kind of things? I think it would be because to prove to those people that he is sent from God. It's exactly right. See, and that's what he's saying in this verse. This Jesus of Nazareth was sent by God to prove that he was sent by God, he did all these wonderful things to God was doing them through him. It'd be like, uh, you know, me going and representing somebody, you know, famous, you know, they would give me something to say, yeah, it, you know, I could walk in and say, yeah, oh, uh, uh, Charles Stanley sent me over here to, to preach or do this and you know, I could say whatever I want, but if I didn't have any accreditation, people weren't going to listen to me. So this miracles and wonders and signs were an accreditation from God to Jesus to prove to the people he was the son of God. He's doing the same thing with the disciples. It is a, these miracles were proof that, that Jesus is alive First of all, that's, remember, that's what Peter is pointing out here, that Jesus is alive. We didn't steal his body. He did it through signs and wonders and miracles. We're going to be doing these signs and wonders and miracles. So Jesus is alive. And uh, I just thought that was important because a lot of people look at the book of Acts and just, oh, you know, why don't we see the healings today? And God does heal. But he did it more miraculously and more often in the book of Acts. But it was to prove God's purpose. And one was to prove that the apostles were sent by God, filled with the Holy Spirit, to spread the gospel. It, it was proof It was to, for everybody else. There are other things that, that as I said, uh, other miracles and other things that would happen to prove to the Jews that the Gentiles could be saved. So miracles and signs and stuff in the Bible are not for us to get all butterfly feelings over and try to uh, replicate, I guess. Is that the right word? Reproduce. Um, they're more as a sign from God that this is my chosen one to do this. 
a lot of people try to make a lot of money off of that, but that's not the purpose of signs and miracles. So I know I spent a little bit of time on that, but I, I think that's good for us, a good foundation for us to understand uh, a lot of what's going on in the book of Acts. All right, so um, chapter, let's see, chapter 2, verse 22, signs and wonder which God didn't miss to you, and you yourselves know that. You've witnessed that pretty much. Verse 23, him being, now he's talking about Jesus again. Remember, he's, he's justifying Jesus is alive. Him being delivered by the determined council, which was, that was uh, the Roman uh, government, is what that, the Roman authorities. That was the determined council. Who determined it? God determined it. God determined that he would go before Caesar uh, and, and that he would be that he would be brought before them according to their punishment time. God did that. He ordained that. So that's the determined cancel council in that verse. Um, being delivered to the, the determined council and the foreknowledge of God, basically what I just said, that, that God appointed them, ye have taken. The ye have is is the the uh, the Jewish leaders of, of all that it applies there. But you can put yourself there. You can put all mankind there. We all put Jesus on the cross. But it, Peter is primarily talking to the Jewish leaders here but don't feel like, you know, we ought to point fingers at them. All of our sins put Jesus on the cross. So just a little note for that. Um, and you have taken uh, by wicked hands and have crucified and slain. Uh, and then he goes on, verse 24, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Uh, in other words, he didn't just stay in the grave. That he had no sin, death couldn't hold him. God raised him from the dead. He says, so we didn't steal him. God raised him from the dead because he was sinless. Okay? Um, for And then he talks in verse 25. He starts talking about uh, really focusing in on these Jewish leaders because they were big into... King David, our father Abraham. Remember that? They'd always they go back to their roots. And King David was a, a big figure. You know, they all looked up to him, be like us, and you know, if Abraham Lincoln was still here, you know, kind of thing. But King David, and then he starts quoting King David in, in chapter 25, just to point out to them that he even prophesied of this to come. Uh, verses 25 through 31, he quotes Psalm 16, 8 through 11. So he's doing that for King David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. And, and he, for he is on my right side, right hand, I'm sorry, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Uh, thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the 
patriarch David that he is both dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with his oath to him that of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh he would raise up Christ to sit on his right sit at his throne. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in hell neither his flesh did did see corruption. So what he's he's given a prophecy of Christ being raised from the dead uh, as Christ is it's a prophecy of what Christ would say. They would thought that's just what David was saying. But Peter points out to him, David's dead. David's gone. We haven't seen any resurrection of David. So David wasn't talking about himself. David was talking about Christ. David was quoting what Christ would say. It was a this was a prophecy of Psalm 16 of Christ being raised from the dead. So there was a the second proof that uh, Jesus was alive is that their King David had prophesied of it. 33. So we go on to the third point of why Jesus was alive, as Peter was speaking, is the witness of believers in verse 33. Uh, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. no, they, they, they have witnessed. There was witnesses that saw Jesus' ascension. They saw him after his resurrection. For you remember, he, he's on earth for forty days. He saw many people, and many people witnessed that. Uh, so there is just more proof that nobody stole the body. Jesus alive. He's he's uh, he's uh, he was anointed by God. It was the, to the son of God. He is prophesied by King David. And there's been many witnesses that have witnessed him walking after his resurrection. So, uh, Peter goes on in verse 33 through 35, uh, is the, the proof that Jesus is gone is resurrected and ascended is because now what you're seeing, he's saying, this Holy, the Holy Spirit who has come like a mighty rushing wind, you're hearing these voices and you're seeing all that. That's more proof that Jesus is resurrected because Jesus promised it in John 16, 7, that I must go so the Comforter will come. So there's more proof that Jesus has ascended because now we're seeing the Comforter show up. Uh, so that's what he's doing in verse 33 through 35. He also quotes David there. Uh, he said, for David is not, a, or talking about David again, ascended into the heavens, but said to them, though the Lord shall sit unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. Uh, so now, uh, they it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto the Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? So see, the he had pointed out to them what had happened. The, the, the Messiah that you were looking for 
you had crucified. This was the Son of God. You see it in all the miracles. You see it in the witness of believers. You see it in now in the presence of the Holy Spirit and the and that He is gone. Um, so after they had heard this, they said, "What shall we do? What do we do now?" Uh, sort of like when Philip went and saw the eunuch. He, what must I do to be saved? That's basically what they're saying. What do we do to be saved? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, so he gives them their answer here. Let's talk about verse 38 a little bit. Uh, like I said, they, he had pointed out that Jesus is alive. He was the Messiah. He's your Messiah, pretty much. And you crucified him. They said, now what do we do? He says, repent, uh, be baptized, and you receive the Holy Spirit. A lot of people, the reason I'd like to talk about this verse 38, a lot of people take that and say, you got to be baptized to be saved. That's not what Peter's saying here. Um, he says to repent. Remember John the Baptist says his message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? And once you repented, then he baptized you. So to repent is is turn away from your sin and toward, toward God. That's salvation, period. The baptism was important, especially for these Jewish leaders, because remember, baptism is just a public profession of my faith. So to, for a Jewish leader to make a public profession that I am buried with Christ and he rose again and I want to live for him was a big statement during that time. A uh, huge statement. They were showing that they were turning from Judaism and all the rest and, and converted to Christianity. So that's why he made, the, I think, to make the extra uh, point there to say be baptized. You know, don't just say it with your mouth. Let your actions also show that you are a child of God or that you've been, that you trust Him as your personal Savior. Uh, so that's, that's what that's about. Don't let people confuse that with, uh, you've got to be baptized to be saved. All right, now verse 39 is for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Uh, what he's saying there is that even though you've rejected the Messiah, even though you crucified him, there's still hope. This promise was to you, Israel. This promise is to those who are far off. What he's talking about, that's us. That's the Gentile. That's the whole world. Uh, so the promise is still there. Remember what he said in the beginning that, that God foreknew Jesus was before ordained to die under the Roman rule, be brought to him by the, the Jewish leaders. God knew all this. This was no surprise to God. Uh, God never says, uh-oh, what am I going to do now? It was all his divine plan. And Peter's telling him this was his plan. He is still your Messiah. And he's still willing to forgive you if you'll repent and trust him as your personal savior. If you'll repent and and 
make a profession of your faith. So uh, he's just basically telling them in that verse 39 that, that this promise was to them and to all that are called of God. And they, verse 40, it says, With many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this onward generation. Uh, in other words, it, remember the Jewish leader Judaism, and we'll look at it later in the in the book. And a lot of the epistles talk about it where 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 Paul would go in and start a church and talk about it was by the blood of Jesus and accept him as a personal savior, get the church started in the right track. And then these Jewish Jewish leaders would come in and say, you know, Jesus is okay and all that, but you still got to do the law. You know, and so what he's saying there is the law, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. This is a confused generation. That's what he's talking about there at the end of 40, I think. This well, the NIV says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Right. Uh, they're very confused about the whole truth of the gospel. Uh, so he's Peter is still uh, pleading with them. To, to turn from the Jewish customs and the law into Christ. Um, so then they gladly received the words, were baptized, and the same day there added unto them about 3,000 souls. Wouldn't that be an awesome service to be at? <laughs> See 3,000 people get saved? That's, I don't know if Billy Graham ever had that many in one service. <laughs> You'd be tired of baptizing for that day. No, I wouldn't be. I might be tired, but not of baptizing. <laughs> talking about exhausting. Yeah, I know it. I know it. It would be awesome. You'd have to have some help. Yeah. Uh, verse 42, and they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. That was the doctrine of Jesus Christ. He's raised. Uh, he was uh, crucified, buried, and raised again. Um, that's the apostles' doctrine. It, it wasn't anything special. It was just the gospel. And and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Um, see, that's in, important to me. And I, you know, that's why I like for us to have a meal on Wednesday nights. You know, I, eh, we got to eat again. I think it's good for us to get together and have fellowship, uh, Christian fellowship. But it also can refer to the breaking of bread of communion, too. But I think they would get around. Uh, there was 3,000 at least, well, a little more than that. And he had, I don't know how many there was at this time, but they would meet in the church. They would meet in homes. They'd probably have a supper. And they, they needed to be taught of what all this meant. A lot of them knew the Old Testament, like Peter. You can see from him quoting it. He knew the Old Testament, but he didn't understand it until Jesus was raised from the dead and, and ascended and the Holy Spirit came. So there are many others just like Peter that needed to understand the, the truth of what all this meant. And it said, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Remember what we said back about Jesus? Back in verse 22, many wonders and signs. God is proving that this is the true gospel. This is the the truth that they're telling you, and he's confirming it through signs and wonders that he is doing through these apostles. So, verse 44, 
And all that believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meal with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily as should be saved. Uh, I've said before in another part of this class, I believe it's very important. Um, Paul, Jesus, uh, it's very important for the church to not have division, uh, for us to be of one mind. And that one mind is that Jesus is head of the church. He's head, he is the the head of the body of, you know, of the, of the bride of Christ, head of the church. He's in control. Somebody may do something you may not like, but God knows it. And if they, you know, I may say something you don't like, God knows it. And we got to understand, you know, it's not sometimes, a lot of times my place to sort of get on you or chew you out or you chew somebody else out and, and start division and murmuring and complaining in the church. God can handle this. We're his children. What us is what is important for us is to try to get it to get along and to understand that we're here to serve him. And uh, so that's basically what you see what's happening here. They are moving in one accord and they are doing uh doing what God has said to do. And uh and the church is growing. Remember what I said uh few weeks ago that that God or Jesus said I will build he told Peter I will build my church if there's not division if you're in one mind one accord loving one another sharing the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ the church is going to grow uh, I've heard I heard a preacher years ago told me he said if I got a copy machine I can build a church and I said well if you had Jesus, you could probably build it a whole lot better. <laughs> you know, I just thought that was a, a terrible statement. But that's what a lot of churches want to do now. It's more of a business and a big program, you know. Just, you know, and I don't knock people on, on Facebook and all the rest, but I don't need Facebook. I don't need a copy machine. I don't need gimmicks. And I need to keep my mind focused on Christ. Uh, he said, he promised, I will build my church and I'll add to the church as it pleases me. So that's sort of my philosophy about building a church. Should we go out? Should we do things? Absolutely. We need to let people know we're here. But I'm not going to fret over it if it doesn't happen. I mean, if there's, you know, is somebody, oh, I want to build a thousand member church. Well, what if God wants you to be a 150 member church? You know, I, I believe it's just as important to have little churches as it is big churches. And sometimes I think it's better to have little churches than big. I've been in both. But I, I believe the this last pastor, Jim Stallings, told me, he said, the little, little small churches are the backbone uh, to spreading the gospel across the nation. Yeah, that's where you're going to see your most results and stuff. Well, perfect example. My nephew, uh, the company he worked for when he first got a job, went to Jackson, Mississippi. 
He's in Virginia now. And he, there was a guy he was working with and invited him to go to the Baptist church he goes to. And that church has got like 5,000 members. You know, and he said, it's just you. And he said, he was sitting there one Sunday morning. There was people next to him and they, and they got to talking. And his friend that he worked with was talking to the guy sitting next to him. And he, of course, he didn't know the other guy, you know, had never seen him before. And the guy said, well, I've been a member here for five years. And he'd never seen him before. I mean, you know, when you got that many people, how can you know all them people? You can't. Right. Now, we were, we were part of a big church like that. I'm a huge church. I remember one time when I was a kid, our high attendance Sunday for Sunday school, we shot for 10,000 people. That church was huge, but it really was a bunch of little churches. You just had little groups all over that church. So, I mean, you didn't know everybody in that church. There was no way of knowing everybody. So I think little churches are good. That's where you get to know one another. That's where your flip fellowship comes from. Uh, so I, I'm not opposed to little churches. All, all I want is to have the church God wants us to have, whatever that is. So anyway, to, to recap chapter uh, 2, the Holy Spirit came, uh, and we see him speak in verses 5 through 13. Uh, we see that in verses 14 through 21, the church responds to that. Peter explains what, it's go what you're seeing is the Holy Spirit that came in verses 14 through 21. And then he explains how it happened. It's because Jesus is alive in verses 22 through 35. And it, Jesus gives proof of that, that he is alive. And then, uh, and then in verses 42 through 47, you see the church walking. They're not talking, but they're walking what they're saying. In other words, they're putting to action what they've been saying through the beginning of the chapter. And, you, and the result is, is that that 3,000 were saved and the many are being added to the church as it pleases God. So with that, if there's no nothing else, we'll close. That's the end of chapter 2. We'll start chapter 3 next week.